February 16th. And now as we turn our attention to the reading of the New Testament, our narrative today will be from the book of Mark, chapter 1, beginning at verse 29, and we'll read through chapter 2, verse 12. Where did the servant get his power? We're going to read about that in just a moment here in this book of Mark. And we'll see that he depended on the Holy Spirit and prayer. He did not allow the demands of the work to rob him of the time he needed to renew his strength. Many people mistake their active ministry for time with God. And it is not the same thing. If the Holy Son of God needed to pray, how much more do you and I need to pray? In the Lord's service, you cannot run on empty. Or better stated, you can't run for too long on empty and continue to be authentic to those to whom you are ministering. Consider the unique ministries of God's servant, Jesus Christ. We'll see here in Mark chapter 2 that He forgives our sins. That's good news for you and me. Imagine a servant having such authority. The healing of the body is a great miracle, but it does not last. Or one day, all die. The forgiveness of sin is God's greatest miracle, for it lasts forever and accomplishes the greatest good. The servant forgives us and pays the price for the miracle. We're actually putting on new garments. Our first parents tried to cover their sins with garments they made there in the garden, but God would not accept them. Instead, He clothed them with skins. Blood had to be shed. Jesus did not come to do a patchwork job on our lives. No, He came to make us whole. We have been raised from the dead. And like Lazarus, we must take off the old garments of death and put on the garments of new life. And with that, let's begin our reading today here in the New Testament. February 16th, Mark chapter 1, verse 29, through chapter 2, verse 12. After Jesus and his disciples left the synagogue, they went over to Simon and Andrew's home, and James and John were with them. Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. They told Jesus about her right away. He went to her bedside, and as he took her by the hand and helped her to sit up, the fever suddenly left, and she got up and prepared a meal for them. That evening at sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus, and a huge crowd of people from all over Capernaum gathered outside the door to watch. So Jesus healed great numbers of sick people who had many different kinds of diseases, and he ordered many demons to come out of their victims. But because they knew who he was, he refused to allow the demons to speak. The next morning Jesus awoke long before daybreak and went out alone into the wilderness to pray. Later Simon and the others went out to find him. They said, Everyone is asking for you. But he replied, We must go on to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too, because that is why I came. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and expelling demons from many people. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you want to, you can make me well again, he said. Moved with pity, Jesus touched him, 
I want to, he said. Be healed. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared. The man was healed. Then Jesus sent him on his way and told him sternly, Go right over to the priest and let him examine you. Don't talk to anyone along the way. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy, so everyone will have proof of your healing. But as the man went on his way, he spread the news, telling everyone what had happened to him. As a result, such crowds soon surrounded Jesus that he couldn't enter a town anywhere publicly. He had to stay out in the secluded places, and people from everywhere came to him there. Several days later, Jesus returned to Capernaum, and the news of his arrival spread quickly through the town. Soon, the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there wasn't room for one more person, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Four men arrived, carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't get to Jesus through the crowd, so they dug through the clay roof above his head. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat, right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there said to themselves, What? This is blasphemy. Who but God can forgive sins? Jesus knew what they were discussing among themselves, so he said to them, Why do you think this is blasphemy? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or get up, pick up your mat, and walk? I will prove that I, the Son of Man, have the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, take your mat, and go on home, because you are healed. The man jumped up, took the mat, and pushed his way through the stunned onlookers. Then they all praised God. We've never seen anything like this before, they exclaimed. Okay, well, the first time I went across the Andes Mountains, I was absolutely wide-eyed. I mean, I just couldn't believe the beauty and the majesty. And the old missionary that was with me, Homer Crane, he was snoring. And I thought, how on earth could he do that? amidst all this beauty. And then about 15 years later or so, um, I took a bunch of young guys across the Andes Mountains and they were all wondering how I could snore through such beauty. And the whole idea was even the most beautiful things because of a fault in us, for sure, after they're seen quite a bit and spoken of much, they don't lose their beauty, but we lose our interest. Things become cliches really quick. Love the Lord. What would Jesus do? All these things just become cliches. Little things we reduce down into little tracks. Jesus died. We wonder why the statement has no power when it doesn't even, even seem have to have power to warm our own hearts. We can sing about, well, Jesus died. We can talk about it, but it just kind of seems mundane after a while. What does it mean that Jesus died? The pain of the cross is not 
what the Romans and Jews did to Jesus when they nailed him to the tree, or they stuck a lance through him. The pain of the cross is that when he was on that tree, well again, it's not what the Romans did to Jesus. It's what his own father did to him. His own father crushed him. His own father, father slaughtered him. That is the pain of the cross. And that's why so few people understand it. You see, God is just. He cannot pass over sin. All sin must be punished. God is holy, righteous, and loving. And therefore, the response of a holy, righteous, and loving God to sin is wrath. The perfect, just, fierce anger and hatred of God against evil and evil men. Now, in order for God to take some of these evil men as His children, to forgive them, something has to be done before He can forgive them. They have to be pardoned. No, God has to be both loving and just. So God makes a way to satisfy His own justice. And how does He do that? The death of the wicked or a substitution for the wicked. God becomes a man and walks on this earth and lives a perfect life. And God goes to a tree. The Son of God, all man, all God, not a demagogue, not something in between, but truly God and truly man, and He goes to that tree. On the tree, He carries the sins of His people. And then all of the perfect justice of God that should be poured out on the heads of His people throughout all eternity, all the fierce wrath and anger and hatred of God against evil that must be poured out on wicked men is poured out on the Son of God. That's why Isaiah says in Isaiah 53.10, it pleased the Lord, Yahweh or Jehovah, it pleased the Lord to crush Him, to crush the Messiah. You see, the pain of the cross, the thing that brought that blood in the garden where He sweated drops of blood, it was not a Roman tree. It was knowing that He would bear sin, stand in the law place of His people, and that His Father would turn away from Him and then crush Him under the full force of His wrath. That is why He said, it is finished. A Greek term often used in business to say paid in full. Someone had to pay. God in His love came down and paid in His only Son third day He rose again from the dead. It was God's great public declaration and vindication of His Son. You want evidence that Christ is God and that His sacrifice was sufficient to save the sinner? God's only going to give you one demonstration. He's already given it. It's the resurrection of His Son from the dead. He vindicated Him or declared publicly that this is the Messiah, this is the Christ, this is the only Savior, and what He did on that tree is the only act of salvation. And if you pass over this, there remains nothing for you. There remains nothing for you. Now, 
upon hearing this message, nowhere in Scripture does it say, now, how many of you would like to go to heaven? And if so, how many of you would like to pray right now and ask Jesus to come into your heart? Nowhere in the Bible does it teach that. It says that God commands you. He doesn't ask you. He doesn't even invite you. He commands you to repent and to believe. He commands you to do that. Look what we've done. We've turned this beautiful doctrine of salvation by faith, of repenting of our sins and believing in Jesus Christ, we've turned it into a religious creed. Psalm 35, verses 17 through 28. How long, O Lord, will you look on and do nothing? Rescue me from their fierce attacks. Protect my life from these lions. Then I will thank you in front of the entire congregation. I will praise you before all the people. Don't let my treacherous enemies rejoice over my defeat. Don't let those who hate me without cause gloat over my sorrow. They don't talk of peace. They plot against innocent people who are minding their own business. They shout that they have seen me doing wrong. Aha, they say, aha, with our own eyes we saw him do it. O Lord, you know all about this. Do not stay silent. Don't abandon me now, O Lord. Wake up, rise to my defense. Take up my case, my God and my Lord. Declare me not guilty, O Lord, my God, for you give justice. Don't let my enemies laugh about me in my troubles. Don't let them say, Look, we have what we wanted. Now we will eat him alive. May those who rejoice at my troubles be humiliated and disgraced. May those who triumph over me be covered with shame and dishonor. But give great joy to those who have stood with me in my defense. Let them continually say, Great is the Lord who enjoys helping his servant. Then I will tell everyone of your justice and goodness, and I will praise you all day long. Proverbs chapter 9, verses 13 through 18. The woman named Folly is loud and brash. She is ignorant and doesn't even know it. She sits in her doorway on the heights overlooking the city. She calls out to men going by who are minding their own business. Come home with me, she urges the simple. To those without good judgment, she says, Stolen water is refreshing. Food eaten in secret tastes the best. But the men don't realize that her former guests are now in the grave.